It might be getting stale. Okay, let's make it fresh. Hello and welcome to Fresh Aesthetic, the show where we discuss topics like creativity, popular culture, self-acceptance, and more. My name is Stephen, and I'm joined by my co-host Matt. Hi Matt, and welcome to the show everyone. Let's hit it. It is estimated that 1.15 to 2.41 million tons of plastic are entering the ocean each year from rivers. More than half of this plastic is less dense in the water, meaning that it will not sink when it hits the sea. What is the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, the GPGP? Well, it's the largest of these five offshore plastic accumulation zones in the world's oceans. It's located halfway between Hawaii and California. It covers an estimated surface area of 1.6 million square kilometers, an area twice the size of Texas or three times the size of France. Consumerism today? Let's talk about it. That was such a cool intro. I thought it was a little bit in a different intro for us, a little bit interesting to start the conversation on the effects of consumerism with perhaps one of the uh, most visible effects that we can see of what consumerism has done to our planet. Yeah, for sure. And this is going to lead so well into next week's episode on climate change, um, but we won't try and steal too much thunder from that one. Um, but yeah, kicking straight into consumerism and how it impacts our lives and how it's impacting the world around us. So full disclaimer, um, we're both affected by it just as much as the next person. You want to tell that story about right before we went on air? Well, I run a business um, selling uh, furniture. And as I was doing some research, I found that the the behavior pattern of consumers has changed in the last couple of years. Now, I knew that anyway, but what was interesting is the number one indicator of brand loyalty um, in the pandemic season has been if products are in stock, which I was like, oh shoot. So I jumped over to my website, changed my banner and was like, you know, products in stock, products available. And so I am a perpetrator. Um, I am not only a victim of consumerism, but I'm one of the drivers as part of the giant machine yeah, so basically the disclaimer is this is preached first and foremost to us <laughs> yeah. and then anyone else who wants to listen. Um, yeah, it's it's a thing that affects us all. Um, I, I really like shoes. That's my kryptonite, maybe, mm. one of them. And uh, I've, I buy higher quality shoes and so they tend to last longer than my interest in that particular colorway of shoe. So... I'm stuck with like a lot of pairs of shoes that I'm ready to move on and get new ones, but yeah, they're lasting quite a while. But, and, and that, that very much leads into um, the whole thrust of this, which is why do we get rid of things so quickly or why do we want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? And um, how has that played a role in our lives? Yeah. And what can we do to change that? Because I want to change it in my own life, right? Yeah, me too. I wanted to start with um, talking about some major holidays and how they contribute to capitalism. 
and then how capitalism in itself is contributing to consumerism. Um, so we've got every single holiday feels like it's just another excuse to buy more stuff that we don't really need or that's just going to go into landfill in the next couple of months. So why is that? I mean, we've got things like Black Friday that's just gone. That's a, uh, a classic one. And it's just the start like that goes into it used to be just a day, but now it goes to through to Monday, which is called Cyber Monday. And then that can go through the whole week. Um, so it can end up as a Black Friday week of sales, um, which makes everyone get in a frenzy because prices are lower and um, shopping goes through the roof, which is what the whole thing's designed for. But then you have other holidays which aren't necessarily so explicit in wanting that same outcome, but they they really are at their core, like Halloween and um, what else have we got? Christmas, we've got um, Easter, um, New Year's stuff. It, it's all the same, right? It just is a driver for consumerism. Absolutely. And I think there's consequences to those sales. I think there's consequences to... Um, you know, value is something that consumers pursue and they want value. They want things to, you know, to think that they're getting the best, um, whether you're a high income earner or a, a low income earner. And interestingly enough, online sales are generally driven by millennials and high income earners. And so online is becoming the platform that we're using now to find what we need. If you go back 30 years, it was the high street, right? And that was somehow um, affected. If you were living in a rural community, you might not have had so much exposure to um, the the high street, going into shops and buying stuff. But we we have consumerism at our fingertips now on the on our smartphones on the internet. Um, we have such a greater availability to purchase things at at whim, and we've moved into the. Um, I think it was Amazon that first pioneered the the one-click order. Yeah, I was going to talk. say Amazon Prime. Yeah, and now it, it's turned, I've got something on mine that's, um, I, I can't remember, GPay, Google Pay, and you just click it and it's all saved there. Yeah. And it's like, boom, that's a- it. And the joke was that Amazon can ship something to you before you've even thought that you wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> it's already at your door waiting. <laughs> oh, it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> so true but so bad uh so talking about capitalism real quick um i'm just reading from uh finance and development online and it's saying that capitalism is thought of as an economic system in which private actors own and control property in accord with their interests and demand and supply freely set prices in markets in a way that can serve the best interests of society um so the essential feature of capitalism is the motive to make a profit. And I think that's why a lot of people are starting to realize that it's not actually the best system in the world and that it's driving this individualism where um, you have people just really going for their own needs and it's leading to just excessive amounts of things um, being needed to be produced and then consumed. Um, and it's doesn't seem to be working super well. Mm. And, and that's part of the issue because what we want is changing so fast. 
because I think it was um, Apple CEO. Oh, mind blank. Tim Cook? Nah. Steve Jobs? Yeah. I know. I can't <laughs> believe I forgot Steve Jobs' name. But uh, one of the things he said is he was working for a marketing uh, in a marketing department and he said, why are you trying to do research on what people want to buy? They don't know what they want to buy until you tell them what they want to buy. And I think we are in the era of so much exposure to advertisements that are telling us, oh, you need this. Oh, you need this to be happy. Oh, you need this to have a fulfilled life. So where our needs were originally like, oh, I need availability to food. I need availability to water. We're now getting adverts saying, oh, you need uh, availability to this little Furby thing that, um, you know, speaks. And if you don't have that, you're never going to be happy. You need available to this sugar water because it has the true answer of life. Uh And and we, we, so our behavior is becoming so sporadic with what we're buying now into trends, into what the neighbors have, what the Joneses have, that there's this inner need that if we don't have something, then our life isn't complete. And um, capitalism, and, and I think mixed with the marketing tools that we have today, is now telling us what we want. And we, we don't even know what we want anymore. We're so, we're so blinded by the continual flow of gadgetry and technology that we are just following society's guide into what we should have. Yeah, and some of the um, downsides of capitalism is inequality and market failure, damage to the environment, short-termism. We're only wanting things in the short term. Um, excess materialism and then a boom and bust economic cycle Um, and that's off a source in Google there's lots of downsides there and I think one of the major things that we can talk about here is um, what a philosopher calls object A Um, it's a French uh, psychoanalysis called uh, Jacques Lacan and He was in tune with Freudian um, hypotheses and that refers to the lost object of desire and it's something that's incessantly searched for and never found. It's an unfulfilled asymptotic desire by definition but one that allows the individual to learn by being in touch with reality. So it starts with a person's lack of desire to have something fulfilled right right and um then the person turns to another object of desire to try and fill that thing and then they get it they realize it doesn't work and then they go for the next one and so it's this unattainable um object of desire that's a it's a myth just keeps evading you um but that how true is that? How many times have, mm. have you found in your own life where you've been like hyping yourself up for something really cool you're about to get? It doesn't matter what it is. It could be even a, an experience. I've had this with just going on a holiday or something. You hype it up in your head and you're looking forward to it for so long. And then you finally get there and realize, oh, I can like, I might have a cold coffee here just like I would at home or um, mm. something, you know what I mean? Um, it, it's just, you're suddenly there in that moment realizing, oh, maybe this wasn't actually what was going to fulfill me. And if you're awake to that, then you can start to question it 
But if you're not, then your mind will just instantly go to the next thing. And I think that's why um, all these holidays do so well as we suddenly are like, oh, that's right. Black Friday's coming up. And I had this myself. It was like, quick, see what sales are out there. So, um, and see if anything that we're after is on sale. Um, so we can quickly go and grab it. But without realizing it, you fall into the trap just like everybody else. Yeah, because here's the thing. You think you're getting a good deal, but you weren't going to buy anything in the first place. So you've just lost money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The sale that you're saving all this money on, you um, you actually weren't even wanting to get anything in the first place. And, and there's a, like working with furniture now, there's a weird thing to this that um, – there's a, there's a growing market and there's a growing attraction to reclaimed furniture, recycling, using things uh, in sustainable ways. And so I think society has realized that we have a problem. And the way we're trying to uh, approach that is to go, are things done sustainably? And I think that's a huge step. I think that's fantastic. Um, I'm no, I'm not downplaying that. I think that's great. But it, it, in some sense, it feels like we're just trying to repackage the inner issue of what we're all facing. So we're like, oh, we're getting, a, we're really looking forward to this reclaimed desk that we're going to buy, and because it's reclaimed and it's made, made sustainably, we kind of think, oh, you know, this is a good thing. This overrides capitalism. This overrides consumerism. But it's the same in a need that wants that reclaimed desk. It doesn't matter how the desk is made, what it's made from. It's this desire to accumulate things that, that somehow are supposed to make us happy. And my wife and I were talking about, you know, if we built our house, we'd probably build a small house, not a tiny home. We're not that brave, but but the rise of attraction to tiny homes has boomed in the last um, decade. In fact, it's become a whole following. And we talked about this and our main motivation was the bigger the house, the more you want to fill it. The bigger the house, the more you want to fill it. The more you want to make things beautiful, fill rooms with everything you can. And it's just this cycle of the bigger, the better. And what if we learn to be content with what we had in our hands? What if we learned to be content with the cups that have been in our um, in our possession for the last 10 years and we didn't feel the need just to upgrade them because we want a new style of cup? What if we used the desk that was run down and we just patched it up, made it work? Um, what if we learned to be happy with that rather than a continued purchase? Now, obviously... If you're looking at iron mower desks, that doesn't apply. You buy that desk, you do it. But, <laughs> and this is the point of hypocrisy of, we recognize we're caught in this thing, but we don't know how to escape it. Yeah, uh, I, absolutely. Um, I just want to get back to uh, Jacques Lakin for a little bit here, um, because I think he touches on this a little bit with the object of desire. Um, and this is based on a few psychologists and psychoanalysts. So it's, it's not just his work, but yeah, um, desire is fundamentally a desire for recognition. Now, I think there's something in here about this desire for recognition, um, that of the why that you, that you were asking about before you're asking, why do we do these things, you know, and you're absolutely right. How a desire for a, a reclaimed wooden desk is 
the same desire that might want you to get a desk from Ikea or a desk from Kmart. Um, it's, it's based on this, the same thing. And I think this digs into it here, which um, he talks about how desire pushes for recognition. It is less a question of what we desire as much it is, as it is that we be recognized. Moreover, Lacan believes that this dependence on the other for recognition is responsible for structuring not only our desires, but even our drives. So... Can you just say that in English? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I realized there was a lot of big words there and um, you, you often get this in psychoanalysis, but um, really it's talking about how th- this this desire to, to do this stuff, right, to get anything, prestige, um, win awards, to have a really nice house, a boat, um, all these uh, things that are kind of uh, symbols of success they're coming from a desire for recognition from somebody else. And that's what they're talking about here. So the, your object of desire, the thing you desire, why are you desiring that? Because you want somebody else to think well of you or to think that you're all that. Wow. So they're talking about how the ob- your object of desire is actually somebody else's object of desire or somebody else's um thing that they want it's quite a thing to wrap your mind around but there's something really good in here and I I really want to dive into it so wait so so the desk that you want you don't actually want the desk you want, you the, want the status you want come. the look that goes with it like right like you can do this with people's fashion sense right like you're always giving away indicators about what you want and what you think and things like that but the clothes somebody wears, right? They wear street clothes. They're not. They're wearing them to to give off certain things, but they also want the acceptance and to fit into certain peer groups as well. Okay, okay, okay. I'm, I think I'm getting it. I think I'm getting it. I'm just slowing this down because this is profound and it's blowing my mind. So I heard somebody once say, "Why do we spend so much money on clothes to impress somebody?" that we're never going to speak to in the street. It's essentially saying the same thing, right? It's like, we want to wear yeah. the, the, I'm not picking on you, shoes. <laughs> <laughs> you can pick on me, I don't um, mind. We want to wear the shoes. We want to wear the, a specific brand of coat. Yeah. I mean, there's a movie coming out so, soon called uh, House of Gucci, and it's taught, exploring about the status and the power that comes with Gucci, that it's not about the clothes. Yeah. It's about the, the power that is associated with the brand and that's branding and marketing, right? And we are buying, we are spending our money, not on possessions, on on what we want people to believe about us. That's kind of what you're saying, right? Is yeah. Is that right? You okay? Yeah, t- totally. Wow. Mind blown. Carry on. Yeah, there's a um, <laughs> video on YouTube. I haven't actually watched it yet, but it's by Marquez Brownlee. He's a prominent tech blogger. Um, but he he's just put out a video. Why does this ten thousand dollar Gucci Xbox exist? Yeah, wow. Yeah, right. Um, and and it's the, you, you can find this all over the place. There was a Air Jordan did a collab with I think it was Dior, and they put out these Jordan ones. Um, yeah, it's a Jordan one, Richo High Dior, and 
they put out the shoe, right? It was a collaboration with Dior. And normally a Jordan is, I mean, it's made of decent materials, but it's not upper class materials. The the leather's not the finest leather in the world. Um, so it's it, it's good quality, but it's not sort of Art. your top class yeah. designer. And then these this designer brand, Dior, did a collaboration with them and put out this Jordan 1. And now Jordan 1 normally retails for what? Like 220 bucks maybe. Mm. Um, and then this Dior that they did, they made it with premium materials and it retailed for, I think it was 2000 New Zealand dollars, but there was, but there was only, uh, I can't remember the exact number, but maybe like 200 of them made. So there was, it was a short, uh, a small number of them made and in circulation. Um, and they of course sold out instantly and now they're selling on stock X for, I don't know the exact figure, um, but it's pretty ridiculous. I'm talking like ten thousand dollars or something along those lines. Oh. Yeah, I've and, got- and it's and you're telling me that the 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 material quality isn't it's good, but it's not the absolute well, best well they, available. They made them higher quality when they did this collaboration with Dior, so it's higher quality materials, but it's still not like. Seven thousand dollars worth. I'm looking on StockX, and there's a pair on here for seven thousand seven hundred dollars. Right. Um. So this is the this is a question here. Why do these lux- luxury products exist? Like, what's the point? Um. And I believe that they're making these luxury products because it's for the status, right? Yeah. Like, why else would you? Oh. Why else would you spend seven thousand dollars on a pair of shoes? Yeah. So for for shoes, sometimes it's about the collector's item. So some people buy these crazy, ridiculous priced things because it's a collector's item. But um, I think if you were ever going to wear something, well, I mean, there's there's designer clothing anyway. That's this crazy amount of money. Like you could easily spend a thousand dollars on a t-shirt. Yeah. Or three thousand dollars on a puffer jacket, piece yeah. of cake to spend that much. Um, but why? This yeah. is object A, and this is where your object of desire is actually wanting somebody to think really well of you. Yeah, uh, that's fascinating. And to, to flip this slightly, um, I, I texted you the other day. On, it was our, my and my wife's anniversary. We went out to a meal together. We went to a new cafe that's opened up uh, opened up the previous day called Aqua in Whangarei. It's um, in the Hunterswasser um, building, which is an art gallery or to be an art gallery, but the building itself is an art gallery. <laughs> it is a beautiful, amazing work of art and it's polarized some people in the community because it really does stand out. <laughs> if you're walking through Whangarei and there's a golden orb hanging above the town um, that is the, the peak of the building. Anyway, we go into this place, I sit down and the manager comes over and he says to us, how are you doing? And the way he talked to us wasn't like, hey, uh, how you doing? You know, we're on table. the way he talked to us was like, how are you doing? And he really wanted to engage in conversation. So we had some time, we talked for a couple of minutes and then he handed me the menu and I read the front page of the menu and it said, Everything in here is locally sourced. All the food is locally sourced. This is the first thing. I was like, oh, cool. Then it went on and said, we believe in sustainability and supporting our community. And I looked around the room and 
suddenly this room that was just a normal room, it, 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 was, it was quirky, it was quirky, but it just came to life as I saw everything in the, in the cafe has been resourced but from local people, um, from the, the chandeliers to the hand-blown glass chandeliers, all the way to the cutout mirrors mosaic on the back wall, all the way to the hanging plants, which a 90-something-year-old lady comes in weekly to water. And we've got to understand this is high-end. This is the um, this is considered to be a higher-end uh, restaurant in Whangarei. The food was exquisite. So I had this huge experience. I'm painting a bit of a story to give you an idea of what this experience was like. And at the end of it, I was happy to pay them because I didn't believe I was, they, they had served me with a great experience, but I was paying for and putting my money into the local community and my money was going to help people. And I just think that this is the new model that is rising out of COVID in business is that we're conscious now that spending money and where it goes is a big deal. And it's the same with me. When I'm making a desk, I could run my business uh, more efficiently and import a whole lot more stuff. But I want Doreen at the, the bottom of the road to make my packaging because it helps her get an income to support her family. Um, I want Monon to do artwork and instruction manuals for me because he needs the he needs the work. It's helping him putting putting him through university. And so there's an ethical responsibility in consumerism that is returning as we're starting to realize, you know, um, that the way that we're spending money actually affects the lives of people. And my hope is that we're pulling away from this blind capitalism of just how do we get the most profit? How do we get the most value? But we're actually going, you know, what is this value creating? And I suppose I'm, I guess, comparing that to this inner need to fulfill something. I'm just trying to bring the side now that goes, okay, well, there is actually a sustainable way to have your needs met. And it begins with ethics and it begins with valuing the people who are producing what you're giving. You know, if you're going to pay that much for a pair of shoes and we're looking at the motive being to impress people, what if the motive, what if you're not buying shoes? What if you're going to that local restaurant and we're doing it because we know we're supporting the 95-year-old woman that come in and, and, and lives in a local community and waters the plants every week. Um, the glass blower down the road who has a family, the um, the artist who cuts out the mirrors, and we're actually thinking of spending money in that way. And it's far more generous, I think, than the the self-fulfilling needs that is driven in a consumeristic society. Yeah, absolutely. And we have some really good people in our community who tend to do things like that already and are supporting local business. And I'm constantly um, encouraged and also challenged by them to do that myself and to value those things for myself. It's just, there's a story of um, somebody I know who went to China and the people they were with were going to, <laughs> they wanted to go and get McDonald's for dinner. And it. I mean, that's just the silliest thing to me. Mm. Um, like, why would you want to do that? But I don't know. Maybe we should talk to this thing of like, what is this desire and what is it coming from? Because I've noticed it in myself plenty of times, oodles of times. I mean, it's only in, in my 30s that I've started to question it and really 
dive into what is this thing and why what's causing it and things like that because like we've talked about so many times like in the Enneagram and things like that um, it's not until you start to analyze these things inside you that you can really turn them around and start to change them and work on yourself like that Mm. so what is the desire in you what that that makes you want to suddenly go out and buy a whole lot of things to do with something is there any stories that you've got there of a time where um you've you you've might have seen that somebody values something in your community and you're like oh maybe i could show that i have those things and therefore they'll like me more yep i have a great example of something recently in the business um of having somebody come to make a video for me and they were making a video of me making a product right i was making a little coffee table and they made the video they sent it back to me and one thing that i immediately noticed in the video and was like oh shoot was that the brand of tools i was using weren't the industry standard oh no <laughs> <laughs> i was using what is considered and looked down upon by um maybe professionals as being a subclass brand or a DIYers brand. Now, here's the irony is the drill that I have has lasted me like a decade. It is the most reliable drill. It does the job. But because it's the right, not the right brand, I was embarrassed to show that thing publicly. And I thought to myself, oh, I should have tried to get camera angles where it was showing my Makita gear, my higher end gear, <laughs> because I would be more respected as a business if, if you know, they might just look at me like, oh, this guy's a joke, you know, he's, he's using a, a cheap drill. Um, and to me, it made, and I actually caught myself doing that and I was like, hey, you know what, stuff that, you know, like stuff that attitude because, um that is just playing into this. I need people to see me in this way. And um, I don't think that's, I, yeah, I, I was falling for that. I was falling for that brand recognition thing that you're talking about. I want to be associated with this brand. Um, and I've had builders as well, you know, I'll say, oh, I'm buying this blah, blah, blah. And they kind of give a like, Psh, you know, <laughs> what you buying that rubbish for? And, but if you actually like, if you do research, some of these cheaper brands outperform the bigger brands, but people refuse to acknowledge that because of the, 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 you know, the brand's association. And it's the same with cars. It's the same with um, especially goods that you rely on quality for and machinery, um, speakers, computers. We have this stigma. We call it the Apple tax, right? It's like we're paying this extra for Apple because it is Apple, you know? And at the end of the day, there's probably a lot of machines which can perform just as well for a cheaper price point, but we want this this stigma associated. So that's something that I just thought of, of public opinion affecting me uh, as far as, um, y- you know, what, what brands I'm associated with. Yeah, um, and you brought up a really good point with the whole recognition of brands and um, different things like I've caught myself plenty of times looking at a, a product that I'm wanting to get into our product range and just weighing up the different choices and you can quickly get sucked into going 
oh, well, there's this one and it looks looks like it would do the job, but there's this one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only $150 more. Um, and, and it just is a rabbit hole from there. Um, and, and you can, like, there is a, a place where quality comes in and craftsmanship and using better quality materials and spending time to actually make it by hand. These sorts of things do play into it sometimes, but you're absolutely right that there are other times when they don't. And I remember a blind test that we did one time, me, you, and a couple other friends um, of whiskeys, where we uh, had a whiskey sampling box and blind. Oh, no, first of all, we tasted all of them while we could see the labels and note, noted all our results down in a spreadsheet because we're super nerdy like that, and then blindfolded ourselves and <laughs> repeated the experiment to see what would happen. And from memory, all of the results were completely around the other way in the blindfolded experiment. Like we had categories for things like flavor. Um, what else did we have? I can't remember. Um, scent. Yeah, um, there, there was a few taste. different char- uh, qualities and characteristics that we talked about um, in the in the review. But when we redid the test with the blindfold on, my goodness. Just exposed. Yeah, and I, w- I really want to redo that with like coffee because there are so many coffee snobs in my life that I'm like, I want to test you on this and see if you can actually put your money where your mouth is here. Can I just be a bit bold on that? I actually think that coffee is an associative drug. I don't think people like coffee as much as they think they do. Potentially, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm open to that idea. That's. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you guys be like, oh, I love coffee. I'll go to the, the elite coffee place. I've got to drink the best coffee. Um, and it's like, it's all an image. It's, it's all an image. I, I'm not saying everybody's like that. I'm not being like super judgy. I'm just recognizing those things that I've done in myself like that, eh? And you're yeah. like, oh, I've got to be, you know, oh, I'm this person, I'm this person. And at the end of the day, we're just trying to get that association with something that helps us build our identity. Yeah, and the other thing with coffee is that it's um, a driver towards consumerism and achieving more because um, suddenly this this thing came out with the industrial revolution that empowered people to be able to do more and be awake for longer um, and aided in that whole thirst for achievement and hustle and all of those things. So yeah, there's, there's, there's some interesting thoughts around coffee. Um, It's one of the, one of the few legal drugs that there are <laughs> on the market. Legal and, Most, uh, and socially abuse. acceptable. Yeah. Talking about that that drive in all of us to want to get stuff for, for the image of it. And um, I think first and foremost, that really needs to be looked at because uh, otherwise you'll just get stuck in that that cycle forever and ever and never, never break out of it. I mean... Like you, 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 you hear the saying retail therapy, and that's of course that plays into what exactly what we're saying that you're feeling sad, you've got these these negative emotions inside yourself, and the way that you counteract that is to go and buy something. Like how ridiculous is that? But it's it's just another thing that we do as humans to fill the void inside us with more stuff or. Um, 
numb down our existence to try and make us believe ourselves and in, into thinking we're happy but where does happiness truly come from does it come from going and cashing in on a black friday sale mm. absolutely not i didn't even have a black friday sale and people thought i was mental like why didn't you have a black friday sale i'm just like nah, i don't i don't want to go down that route that's know? awesome i thought you were going to say i forgot well that <laughs> There was, there was a little bit of laziness in there too, but yeah, um, yeah. no, when it did come to my attention, I was like, I don't want to just be pumping sales all the time. Like, yeah. I don't want to just be dangling carrots. Like if I have a product that is good, um, I don't have to, to, to cheapen it because I'm trying to appeal to somebody's, you know, weaker impulse. That's awesome. I really respect that. Um, but so, so what is the... I guess the question is here, because I, I don't think inherently buying things is wrong. I don't think wanting things is wrong. How do we find a good, mo what does a good motivation look like in wanting to purchase things? Yeah, well, um, there's lots in here, but I think this is really going to tie in well with our episode next week on climate change, um, because it, it takes a huge crisis for humans to even realize that there is an issue to begin with. We're not ones to to make a change based on any sort of subtlety. It has to kind of slap us in the face. You think of people wanting to leave their jobs or anything like that. They don't make the change necessarily. There'll be exceptions to this, but um, through some tiny little thing, it'll be like they're super unhappy in their job mm. or they're super unhappy in the, in the town they live in. So they make a drastic change and change jobs and move towns maybe. I don't know, but... There's something in that where it takes something big in order to enact change. And I think climate change is going to get to that point where it's it's the big thing that causes us to change. But at the same time, I have noticed, and I did read a headline that said that Black Friday sales didn't do as well this year. And I mean, there will be things like the pandemic that's playing into that and um there will be factors involved and I would like to see that of course mapped out over long-term statistics, but maybe people are actually wisening up to these ploys yeah. of companies to find any possible way to suck our money. Um, this is a bizarre thing though, is that it's, we can blame the companies, but it's actually us that's driving it. We are the, we are the engine that the companies are just going, Hey, Oh, you want that? We'll provide that if you want that. That is true, but there's also the intense amount of research and planning that goes into targeted advertising. Yeah, um, that's true. And like you would be shocked at the amount of work that goes into making people buy a certain product. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a very – why is it invested into? Because it works. Yeah. Um, and it works without people realizing that it works. And this, this is um, something that ties back into that thing I read at the beginning of pollution and the amount of pollution it, that is a side effect of our impulse buys is we don't realize that a lot of the things we're buying, um, especially stuff that's just not sustainable whatsoever, a lot of the stuff we're buying and this consumer culture, this this uh, – like you're saying, the, the amount of work that goes into making somebody makes a purchase, that has a physical consequence. And that consequence, in a lot of cases, is pollution. Um, 
and we don't like pollution, but we don't want to stop the consumerism. That's right. And like you said, when it comes to this tipping point where we, you know, when, where, where is the point where we go, oh shoot, like my inner need to find approval through the brands and the product I buy is killing the planet and is, is dumping um, waste products into rivers. I mean, I was shocked uh, and I don't want to go too much. We're going to steer back from global warming, but um, I will say this, that I was shocked the amount of um, pollution in the world is, is primarily driven by the industry sector. And the industry sector is driven by human need. And consumerism plays a crucial part. In fact, one of the biggest parts is the driver of human need. So what is going on? Why are we like this as a society? What? And the question for you, what, how did we get here? Yeah, well, supply and demand is a business term, but it's also a term that could apply here where the industry supplies the product and we supply the demand of our want for the product. Um, so, so yeah, we're, I mean, definitely. I mean, I, I do still think that um, there is a sense where the big corporations need to make a change themselves um, mm. and that on a consumer level... Yes, you can do your part and and whatnot, but I think that that's not really going to be enough. It's going to be a little bit of a drop in the ocean compared to if um, a big company stop investing in oil. Yeah, but it's not just oil. It might just be a change in the way that marketing is done. It might be, comp- and we saw it recently, which was again, is a drop in the bucket, but it's something where uh, Apple said, no, you can't track users' data um, if you're using our phones and that disrupts that cycle of, you know, these ads popping up, which are you creepily like, how the freak did they tailor that to me? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so in a sense, there was a change, but what if, for example, what if Amazon reversed its one click buy and said, we're concerned about impulse buying we want to make it harder for you to get to check out. That would be amazing, but I I don't know if I'm just disillusioned, but I just have uh, severe oh, doubt that Jeff, it's not going to happen. Jeff but Bezos is ever going to do that. It's just, it's not going to happen. But that's what we're saying here is that there needs to be a partnership with um, consumers and big companies to figure out how do we make this not detrimental. Yeah, I totally totally hear what you're saying there. One thing that did help for me and is something that I think is an ongoing piece of learning but is very, very important is Richard Raw tells a story about how he was sitting at a traffic light and he had this revelation sitting there because he was getting grumpy. It was a traffic light that was taking a long time. You know those ones that just take forever and there's not even any other cars coming and you're just like, why is this taking so long? Um... But he had this revelation where he was like, am I actually going to be any happier on the other side of these traffic lights than I already am right now? And that changed his life. How many things can you apply that to? Am I actually going to... You stop and ask yourself that every time before you you make the purchase. And I've, I've had to do this for myself and I keep reminding myself to do it, but before you make that purchase and go 
what what other people's opinions am I trying to buy here? What what am I trying to make people think of me? Um, am I trying to fill a void that way, or am I trying to to just make myself quote unquote happier by buying this item or whatever it is, going on a holiday? It's all part of it, right? Um, am I actually going to be any happier on the other side, or am I going to get to the other side and realize, huh? I'm exactly the same person mm. with exactly the same brain thinking the exact same thoughts. This is the, the dilemma of international travel. As you'll know if you've done quite a bit of travel is sometimes you go to places that are a bit more impoverished and I've had the reaction of people going, oh, I could never live here. You know, it's almost like this isn't up to my standard. Or this isn't good enough to what I'd be used to in my country or my home. And the deceit to, to self in that statement is saying, well, I can only be happy when my external environment looks or, or represents this. And what we know as humans is that we are the mediators of our own happiness to, to some degree. I mean, if you're trying to be shot 24 seven, okay, your surrounding environment might have, you know, some play on your health and mental well-being. But but generally speaking, living conditions, you can learn to be happy in anything. And I think in, in, the, in the Bible, in scripture, it says, um, Paul says, I've learned to be happy with much and I've learned to be happy with little. And to me, that's a reflection that he, as a writer, um, it, it was trying to express, look, it's internal. It's internal driven. The external environment will never dictate your happiness until you allow it to. And I just think sometimes we allow it to a bit too much. Wow. And there's also that cliche with um, going to impoverished places. And I've heard stories of people seeing um, the people who are inhabiting in those places and them just being so much happier. Oh. Absolutely. than we are in, um, in Western countries. And so put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. But don't buy your pipe off yeah. AliExpress. <laughs> that's right. Buy a more sustainable one that isn't wrapped in plastic. Yeah, yeah, made by local craftsmen. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's at the heart of this. And I love that you brought it to that, is that where is our happiness coming from? really is it coming from within because it should be and you can be happy anywhere it is a state of being everything you need to be happy is right here yeah you know as you were saying that i just had a, a memory of something that happened this week um i typically customers email me when they want things and i've discovered that generally speaking there's two types of customers there's those people who email me they want something, they want the best value possible, and they just keep on either trying to drive the price down or find some way to chip away at trying to get what they want. And it's like the ultimate goal for them is to, to give as little as possible and get as much as possible. And you can feel it in the communication, it's just like, you, you're running me over stones here and we've all been that per I don't know I've been that person and then there's the other customer who is like this is what I want 
what can I give you to, to make this happen? I want to give you, I want to invest in you. I want to invest in your business. I want to invest in, in what's going on here um, because that's my way of giving back for what you're giving me. That's just two observations and I think we could do a lot to learn to be the latter. That we're more focused, when we're, when we're buying things, we're more focused on giving than we are on receiving. Um, and, and I think that could be a source of happiness in how we handle uh, purchases. Yeah, that's amazing. And to take this out, I'll just give a, a quick thing that will lead really well into next week's episode, again on climate change. Um, I watched June today the movie uh it was really good and i just wanted to share something from it based on what you said trying not to give any spoilers if you haven't seen it maybe block your ears um but they were in the movie it's the year oh, it's quite far in the future anyway i can't remember what the year 2022 was. no <laughs> <laughs> but um it was a they were harvesting spice from from the desert and the indigenous people from the desert the fremen they were saying no they were talking to these people who keep coming and taking and they were saying you don't come here to give anything you come here to take everything from us and you give nothing back and this is going to lead perfectly into next week's episode because how have we as humans done this in so many areas where this planet we pillage all of the resources take them without giving anything back to the planet and i think that's escalated since the industrial revolution um but wow what a thought right it's it's the same idea the same as this person trying to bargain you down for as little as they can pay for the maximum that they can get um and and where can we see that in our own hearts I can definitely see it in mine, places I've done that. Yeah, I love it. Tune in next week to Climate Change. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review and following the show on Instagram. The support means a lot and is super helpful for the algorithms. All original music is by me, Stephen Garten. And thanks as always to my co-host Matt Goodat for the chats. Alright, I'll see you all on the next one. Keep it fresh.